Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101. This is Matthew Aaron. And today we have a very special show because it's the first, hopefully not the last, of very riveting, exciting, entertaining, yet informational interviews with some of the movers and the shakers of the crypto world. Today, we have the one, the only, Douglas Pike, he likes to be called Doug, of Virium and Viracoin on the show today. And I'm super excited to hear what he has to say. And we're going to talk about all kinds of things. We're going to talk about CPU mining versus GPU mining. We're going to talk about decentralization versus centralization. We're going to talk about what he likes in the market, what he doesn't like, what coins he likes, who he likes. And we're going to talk about binary chain, why Varium and Viracoin is special in the market. And why isn't anybody else doing this? Because once you hear what it is, if you don't know already, you're going to say, this, this is the best idea ever. And on a quick note, Doug, see we're on our first name pays this now, but Doug picked out all the music for this. So these are a couple of his favorite tracks. But first, I have to start with some housekeeping. And in the last episode, What is Mining? I made a mistake. And I said that the Ant Miner from Bitmain, the L3, will give you $75 a day. In truth, it's only $15 a day. I don't know why I said that. But it's $15 a day. So if anybody heard that episode and ran out and placed an order for Antminer L3 to mine Litecoin for $75 a day, you might want to return it. Anyway, here's the interview with Douglas Pike, likes to be called Doug, lead developer, founder, Virium, and Viracoin. Absolutely no problem. I understand. And I don't want to disturb your lunch. So if you want to stay off the video so you can eat a sandwich while you're talking. No, it's good. I'm all good now. All right. Cool, man. Um, hey, before we get started, I want—I just want to tell you, and I already told like some people from your crew is Virium and Viracoin are the first purchase I've made outside of Bitcoin. And, okay, so, nice. and, and it's interesting because I was looking around, you know, all, all the different coins, all the different altcoins, and I was always wondering, you know, which one's the best to buy. And I went through all kinds of white papers, all kinds of websites and what have you. And I came mm -hmm. to uh, Virium Viracoin and it was properly set up, great website. Everything was just spot on in order and i just want to say you know congrats on making it very easy for somebody to invest oh good good i'm glad you i'm glad you felt that way when did this happen because we've had different like iterations of the website <clears throat> i think it was may my first purchase april may okay yeah yeah and that was was the binary chain yes uh, exactly like, that was what was up there yeah okay. exactly yeah, that's the new site that's the new site that we have yeah i think it's certainly a lot better than it used to be and was videos of me up on the website uh, yeah, exactly. At that time? Yeah, good. I'm glad you had that experience. That's the whole the whole point of that. The design of that website was to basically introduce people to a kind of complicated problem and solution, you know, a way that they can understand and relate to, even if they're just kind of first kind of starting to understand what crypto is, you know? Right, it's exactly. Tough, it's, a tough, it's a tall order. Yeah, you know, and the best thing about the site was that you did have those two binary chain um, 
infographics so you can kind of visualize what it's supposed to do yeah. what it's doing because you know 101 crowd and that's kind of what i what i do here is yeah. you know we just don't know all the technical aspects of what these people are trying to do or what you're trying to do and you say binary chain it's like what but then when you put it yeah, in, that, right. in that graphic it's like I get it. Okay. You know what I always yeah, wish totally. is I, I wish you guys have like a little a little gif of uh, that binary chain just like to apart and together so I could just start sending it to people. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, um <laughs> you're right. That should really be a lot more places because it does. It it makes everything much more intuitive. Right. So you were t- just saying, and I'm sorry that I, I just wanted to, it's kind of like I've, I'm meeting the, the, the Kobe Bryant or, you know, the LeBron James of, of the NBA right now, you know, talking to you <laughs> because I'm, seriously, I've been like, you're my first uh, company I was looking into and, and I long hold. Yeah. So, um, so you were just saying like you ha- you were trying to solve problems with Vericoin and Virium. What what were those problems that you were ta- you were talking about, and why did you create Virium and Viracoin? Um, so there's a couple competing issues in the cryptocurrency technology space. One is basically you don't have a currency if you don't have people using it, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to just have people use it because you know your marketing's good or you have commercials. You basically want people to use it because it's a better system, it's a right. better technology. That's the real way. Like we're talking about creating currencies here, so you can't like market a currency. You know, it, it only becomes a true currency if it's actually used. Right. For us, the key to that problem, the key solution to that problem, is keeping fees extremely low meaning if you can send money from one place in the world to another place in the world and it costs you essentially nothing like right now on Veracoin the fees are 30,000 fraction of a penny mm-hmm. like basically just non-existent you don't even have to account for them they're in decimal places that you don't even pay attention to right it's only just to prevent spam transactions on the blockchain and that's the sole purpose of the fees on, on Veracoin. So so basically we can have instant uh, initial reception of the funds and then within a minute, first confirmation of the funds and then within 10 minutes, a full confirmation of the funds. It Those funds can go from any point A in the world to any point B in the world. And basically you have speed of transactions for merchant usage and acceptance and transaction for buying goods. And you also have essentially costlessness. With that, those two things, speed and costlessness, we believe that those are the two key ingredients for getting users in the long run. Right. That's what's going to win. And and that's with Viracoin, right? Because I'm, I'm also trying to understand a little bit about binary chain and how they work together. Yes. So the speed yeah. and the low cost is Viracoin, but Virium is right. slower, higher cost? That's right. Here's the other side of the equation when you're trying to solve the technological problems that exist for cryptocurrency. One is user adoption, like I just explained in the, in the case of Veracoin as a digital currency. Mm-hmm. The other is security. You mm-hmm. need to have the very best security because there is no Chase Bank infrastructure. The infrastructure is, is a P2P network with a protocol that has certain rules and that has certain incentives that people follow. And that's what secures the chain. The proof system is the security. So you want to have the system pay for itself, but pay itself very well to have the very best security possible. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you want to have the users have no fees. 
So I explained the Veracoin currency, low fees, fast transactions. Now we're basically with Varium, we're basically paying miners well, meaning Varium is a low supply currency, which should have a higher value per coin. Mm-hmm. And we have a shrinking inflation rate that goes to very, very little, almost nothing, once it meets a, a 10 times decrease supply parity with Veracoin. And we pair their supplies 10 times. So we're basically, we reduce the inflation very low, which helps to increase the value of Varium. So when miners are mining Varium, they're expending some electric, they're running servers or desktops mm-hmm. or single board computers. Um, it's CPU only. They're doing it however they're doing it. They're getting a good reward. On right. top of that, they're getting significant fees. The minimum fee is 0.2 Varium. So mm-hmm. it's it's basically expensive to send Varium around. The purpose is basically to have Varium bring as much security as possible by paying for the security in the P2P network to the maximal level mm-hmm. and then have Varicoin be the faster transaction with enhanced security from Varium and at almost zero cost. So basically we get the security of an expensive high fee system and the speed and costlessness of Veracoin, uh, basically the lowest fee possible system that cryptocurrency can be. And then this way you have, in a way, your, your cake and you eat it too. You have high security for the validity of your transactions at mm-hmm. an extremely low cost. So if I got this right, I'm, I'm probably going to dumb this down a little bit because I need to make I it. Mean, key, I, I need to make it simpler too. So I, please, I need to make it uh, simple for myself. <laughs> so pardon the analogy, and I don't want to bring other brands in, into this, but part of no, this analogy, ahead, yeah. and, and let me see if I got this right. Virium is a proof of work. A Viracoin mm-hmm. is, a, is a proof of stake. So you can mine Virium. You can transfer it into Viracoin and then stake your coins to collect some kind of gas or something. Interest. Interest. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. The, the way that Virium and Viracoin work together is kind of, is already innately built, kind of like what Bitcoin and Litecoin are trying to do. Like a, like a whole pair, current, like, let's say. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. It's very much like that. The difference basically is we're making fees higher than Bitcoin in Varium and we're making fees lower than Litecoin and Veracoin. In reality, Bitcoin is basically trying to do two things at the same time. Let's let's just talk about one of them for a moment. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin is basically trying to be a digital reserve commodity um, right. in the sense that it's procured, it's generated, it's created by people who are mining. The, the, the mining analogy, which is basically just generating random numbers on a computer, is, is an apt name because people are putting costs into quote-unquote finding basically like a commodity like you would dig for gold it's not free to dig for gold you got to dig right in many places and then eventually you you find some gold right and of course you have to buy shovels and put labor into it and get guys and wash it and yeah yeah it's the same kind of scenario bitcoin is trying to be like digital gold and digital currency at the same time and the problem is you have this debate occurring now about scaling, which is essentially the crystallization of the technological problem that I'm, I'm referring to. And that yeah. is the miners need to be paid and the users need to have low fee transactions. Right. And scaling debate is essentially one, per, one group is on one side of that equation and the other group is on the other side of that equation. And in reality, both have valid arguments. You know, I think many people are trying to find that sweet spot in the middle 
Um, but we basically realized with proof of stake and proof of work as two separate proof systems, one's costly, one's not, you can actually do both at the same time. Hmm. Um, separate, just completely separate them out, two completely separate chains, but then they share, they share their security model together. And then you get essentially the best of both worlds. The analogy between Bitcoin and Litecoin is is similar. So Litecoin is is lower cost, it's faster transactions. Bitcoin is more costly to send, slower transactions. If you use Litecoin and Bitcoin in the same way, you you kind of get that same effect. But the but the security they don't benefit from their shared security. Security is not mutually beneficial. Right. That's kind of the distinction of the binary chain. We're making the security model mutually beneficial so that everybody wins in a sense. So if you're able to mine Virium for profit, good profit, and you're able to spend Viracoin, you don't have to go through all this FUD that, you know, Bitcoin's going through and these scaling issues like you like you mentioned. And you designed Virium and Viracoin to solve all these problems innately. Why isn't right. more people doing this? Well, no one thought of it, um, number one. Um, so you got, the, you got the golden egg and the golden goose. You could say that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it's a, no one really has thought of this. Um, if we're basically, you know, like, so we launched Varium last year. We launched Veracoin three years ago. We've been highly optimizing the proof-of-stake protocol because mm-hmm. um, it's relatively new on the scene compared to proof-of-work. We've been reworking the proof-of-stake protocol to enhance security and efficiency and all these things that I've been talking about. And then we released Varium last year, um, and we redesigned the proof-of-work algorithm to be CPU-only to enhance decentralization. And that's actually evident now if you look at the distribution of the consensus on Varium compared to Zcash. This is a good comparison, mostly because we launched almost the same month. I think it was like within a month of one another last year. Mm-hmm. And we both introduced a new mining algorithm. And if you look at the distribution of the hash rate, we're about three times more decentralized, our consensus in mining Zcash. And now, the is reason that... is basically because it's CPU mining. Okay, so I was people just going to say that, yeah. Yeah, single board computers, like basically Raspberry Pis, but it's really Odroid that they tend to be mining with, but it's essentially a a beefed up Raspberry Pi. Mm -hmm. They're mining with uh, desktops, laptops, servers, basically any regular computer. Eventually you could, you could mine with like your TV set and top box if you wanted. I mean, you're not going to get much coins, but you can do it. And, um, and it'll probably be more than what you're paying for an electric because those smaller devices are hyper efficient. So we leveled the playing field at the protocol level with Varium. We confirmed that that was the case over the last six months. And now we're really trying to communicate out to people, okay, now this is what our, what we're ultimately working on is bridging these, the security model together and getting this best of both worlds thing. For some reason, nobody's thinking about it. I don't know. What happens when you go into the cryptocurrency space is, is you start to redefine what money is. Mm-hmm. It's because basically you grow up and you believe that government money is essentially the only form of money that could ever exist. Right. And then you and then enters Bitcoin into your life one way or another. And you're like, wait a second. OK, this isn't government money, but people are using it like money and they're sending it over the Internet. It's super easy. Right. Blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, there's miners mining it. Right. And people are like, wait a second. It's money that's not run by a government, but it's mined by miners. This doesn't even really sound like money to me. Right. What ultimately is happening is 
in early civilization, actually pre-agricultural civilization, people used shells and, and metal objects and pieces of gold as money. And they and the reason is is because if I'm growing oranges in the summer and John is fashioning deer hides in the fall, I can't trade rotten oranges in right. the fall for the deer hides, you know, for the deer hides that come then. So we can have a store of value that we agree on has, you know, basically is a social contract for our convenience of trading our different types of goods despite the time of year etc etc and so originally this was money no one likes to carry tons of coins in their wallet why not just create a a piece of paper that represents some amount of gold in the federal reserve and the government has control of the federal reserve and and we can just have this more convenient money and that's really when things they started separating out and now it's almost like just numbers on a screen money is just numbers on a screen there's no gold standard there's no nothing in a way money has gone from the commodity and the currency together to completely separate their money is not tied to any commodity at all mm-hmm. bitcoin joined them back together again but in reality it's not efficient it's not efficient to pay uh, miners a lot in transaction fees as a user who's trying to just spend their money and not give a bunch away in the process. Um, and so we're basically the benefits of separating them, but but sharing their security model primarily. Bitcoin is actually working on the same thing in a way, mm-hmm. but they're doing it differently. And that's called essentially SegWit. But basically, the end goal of these types of systems is to create what is called lightning networks. The lightning network is is mostly not decentralized. There's ways to decentralize it and what's called by decentralizing, you're basically minimizing the trust you have to have for a third party. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's ultimately in the end, if it's not on the chain, the public blockchain, it's not going to be decentralized or it's certainly more vulnerable to being centralized. Mm-hmm. So we feel that basically with Vericoin and Varium via the binary chain, we have what Bitcoin is aiming to do with SegWit, but it's all on chain. Can I go back a little bit? Back to the mining question. You're mining with a CPU. I, I just posted probably around a half hour ago uh, an episode about what is mining. And I went through yep. CPUs, GPUs, uh, ASIC, and all these other things. The way that I understand it is is that networks, the, ha- the, the, the increasing difficulty of the hashes is almost forcing the development of you know, faster, uh, more streamlined GPUs and, and specialized uh, circuitry to you know, mine more efficiently so you can you know, get profit out of, out of mining. Right. Why, why right. is this not going to happen with Virium? Two reasons. We make it not very profitable in the medium term. So basically, Varium requires a lot of RAM, requires a lot of fast memory Mm -hmm. um, to calculate the hashes. Fast memory is the most expensive part of a computer. Mm -hmm. Um, So the more fast memory you have in a device, the more costly that device is going to be. In the case of Bitcoin, it doesn't require much fast memory. Uh, you can have minimal fast memory uh, available for calculating many, many hashes um, in parallel at the same instance. Um, and thus, developing these highly efficient, uh, specialized hardware mining units called ASICs is relatively cheap. Um, mm-hmm. you, I mean, they're still expensive, but 
you can you can buy like a really good one for say two to five thousand dollars. That's expensive, but if you're you know right. if you're going to be mining such and such Bitcoin, it's fine. Right, compared to the what you're going to do, what you can get out of it, it's expensive, but it's you can get your money back and then some. Right, and with us, the specialized hardware could gen- definitely be created, but you would have to put so much fast memory into it that it's going to cost say at least five to ten times the price of like say a bitcoin asic oh wow and now and now basically you know now you have to sell these these units to people just to get your costs back at an extremely high level and what ends up happening is the most profitable thing to do is use existing computational infrastructure which is already via competition in the marketplace reduced so my laptop the cost of <laughs> yeah, yeah, your laptop, even your phone. I mean, it has fast oh, really? memory. Yeah, I mean, your phone has a good amount of fast memory, and it's highly efficient. Um, it's highly efficient, and its and its cost is reduced because it's in standard devices. So it's basically, you know, Apple, Android, you know, right. The companies, any company that manufactures are buying bulk. We're going to be d- releasing in the future a Varium mining app for the mobile phone. Again, oh, that's great. You're not going to get a lot. Yeah, you're not going to get a lot of coins, but you're going to still be at get, work with your phone. Press the button, and you got the phone's free. Basically, you already have it. Meaning nice, and um, and they're hyper hyper efficient, so you're not burning electric. So basically, any coins you get is going to be free you, free money. You're going to start people collecting old phones just laying around their house to mine Ethereum. <laughs> people have <laughs> talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially, we're 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 basically just using the fact that RAM is expensive to force the market into consumer devices and and then this makes more people able to mine at a more reasonable cost without high skill level and special using specialized hardware and all that and we 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 basically envision that we have great security but not via few skillful well-funded groups but via just more people right I want to talk more about you because I think this is something that a lot of people don't really know about. What is it, what is a, the life? Who is these people that are creating this new economy? Right, right. It, and okay. It, you know, I don't know how much. Okay, I've watched your videos. I have not seen one that says, who is Douglas Pike? So who, um, is, who is Doug? Or, or is it Doug or Douglas? What's your motivation for doing this? What's your background? What do you, what do, you do? What do you work, work at? What's your education? Yeah. Where sure, are you sure. right now? So, okay um so doug is good and i am just really a guy who in 2013 that was when i really got into crypto in about 2013 um with bitcoin crypto generally you know especially bitcoin in the beginning (laughs) i kind of was like on the on the outskirts prior to that but i didn't really get deep into it until about 2013 honestly my friend who uh, Pat and Oscar, uh, we worked at the time together in, in a lab. I'm a scientific programmer at Rutgers University, mm-hmm. and I have a degree in biology. Uh, I write programs to design proteins that have different types of functions. Say they uh, bind chlorophylls and are um, the whoa, building whoa, whoa. blocks. So you're, you're of, writing programs for DNA for the most part. Yeah, DNA and proteins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
All right, cool. Um, I'm a part-time PhD student, a full-time scientific programmer. Um, Basically, I'm getting a PhD in computational biology at Rutgers. Um, And so I'm, I'm in the lab in 2013 with Pat, my friend and coworker, who was a PhD student in our lab. He wasn't staff. He was just a PhD student. He was talking about Bitcoin. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I heard about it. I don't really know what it's all about. And he handed me the Satoshi white paper, and and I read it. And honestly, that's all it took for me, really. Hmm. So what was it and about then, the white paper that you just said, all right, this is it? Uh, it was the fact that we didn't need uh, a government or a business to handle transactions. It was hmm. just like, wait a second, yeah, we, why can't we do this? Why can't we have the internet of money? We have email. You know, it's so much better than writing letters and sending them to the <laughs> right. post office. Why can't we do the same thing with, with money? Right. And then the thing that really got me was, wait a second, you don't need a government, you don't need lawyers, you don't need banks necessarily. Um, these, you don't need these institutions. Um, and then the first thing I thought was, okay, that's going to be way cheaper. And then I basically made the quick estimation that, as I was saying, in regards to the binary chain, if it's cheaper... It's going to happen. I right. mean, it's, it's, there's no stopping it. What's going to keep it cheaper? And, and this, I guess, maybe is more like a philosophical question or, or maybe, it, maybe it is a tech question. But as you saw with like Bitcoin, it seems like the, the fees and everything started adding up and everybody started, you, just like you said with the analogy where people used to use shells or different kind of currencies. But then what would happen is they would take the, have these currencies and they'll shave off a little bit and then use it as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so everybody would just like to take a little bit. And that's what's been happening with Bitcoin and other, you know, cryptocurrencies. And that's what happened with right. the bank. You know, they take your two bucks when you go to an uh, uh, out of branch ATM or, you know, 2% for your Visa card and all these other things. What right. is going to keep cryptocurrency from going that route where everybody just has their hand out? I think there's two primary things that will keep it from happening. And you're right. It is already going in the wrong direction regarding fees one is you have to keep everything on the chain mm-hmm. um, on the blockchain you cannot have central groups curating and and, and handling transactions um, that ultimately go on the chain or that don't go on the chain you you need the person-to-person network to be the only necessary infrastructure for the system mm-hmm. that's number one and the reason why that works is because every person that runs a miner, every person that runs a wallet, every person that participates in the system is part of the security model. Mm-hmm. And the system is designed to incentivize those people to act voluntarily um, to participate in the system. And ultimately, they're indirectly protecting the system. So basically, the more miners you have, the more pe- nodes you have around the world, the more secure the system is. The other key thing is, is, is have the fees only as a mechanism to prevent abuse, not as part of the economic model. What do you, what do you mean by that? Bitcoin is a good example. Bitcoin's fees for every transaction are calculated per kilobyte. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if you, if you are sending a ton of transactions in one block, you're going to pay for all the data you're using on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Now, this makes sense because basically the less data that's being sent around the world, um, the more smooth the network runs, essentially, you could say. 
<clears throat> and like the the more equal the chances that each miner gets the data at the same time and the distribution of the system is more even and fair mm -hmm. so it makes sense to have fees proportional to data usage the problem right now is that with a one megabyte cap on the block size as you approach that one megabyte cap, you're, nothing in Bitcoin is saying that the fees have to be higher. People are competing to get their transactions in the next block and not waiting for the second or third. Hmm. So it's really just a fee market that's naturally arising hmm. because there's a bottleneck. Right. So it's actually a two-pronged problem. It's an economic challenge and it's a technological challenge. There's a technological challenge in that you need the capacity to prevent the fee market from arising. Fee market arising is, 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 a, is a factor of the economic reality of people competing for getting their transactions in a timely manner. So you need a good solution to having a higher capacity for transactions that doesn't um, hamper the um, equality of the data as it passes around the network per unit time, um, but you also need the capacity to prevent fee markets from rising. That's why we designed the binary chain. We basically are increasing capacity and decreasing fees at the same time, which right. is kind of, it's kind of a weird concept to wrap your head around. But when you really think about it, having the digital commodity be separate from the digital currency and sharing the security, you can get you can get both those things. Now, since we are actually talking about the market and everything, <laughs> I want to know your opinion about the market in, in, in general. First, in, in Vir Virium and Viracoin's place in the market, you said you made um, Viracoin three years ago. and Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Ethereum just came out last year, was it? 
or earlier this year? Yes, last year. Last end year, of okay. last year. Okay, end yeah. of last year. And so you, you're three years in, into the market, uh, pretty new at Virium with the binary chain. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you feel that your growth is in the market already with, with your two brands? Do you think that it's – what's your opinion about it? So do you, do you think so that people are missing amazing tech that just because of lack of – I don't know. What, 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 how do you feel about V&V in the market well, right I will say I will say uh, – so Veracoin is pretty well known because we've been around for three years. So if anything, I would say that Veracoin actually grew in the market too fast. And then when the Bitcoin market crashed in 2014 – we came like tumbling down with it. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of momentum when you launch a new currency that is considered hot, and you can use that as an advantage. But um, you know, to try and get get the word out, basically. Right. Um, but in our case, I think we actually grew a little too fast, and then we had like a crash with the market in 2014. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just us; it was everybody. Right. But because we had that crash, it scared off a lot of investors um, mm. who were scared off even from Bitcoin at the time. Um, and, you know, had they just held until 2017, uh, they would have made more uh, than the peak in USD uh, in 2014. So so we've kind of been trying to find the sweet spot where we basically we don't market too much to the point where we like cause like hype rallies and we don't completely do nothing so that no one knows that we exist or our technology exists we're almost getting to that sweet spot now where we're finding new ways to get the word out about the technology that we're working on which is very innovative but at the same time not overplaying our hand with how much we market it how much we talk about it you know be conservative to some extent um and let people come to their own conclusions about it as they learn more about it and, and use it. What do you think of the FUD and all the hype that's in the markets these days, <coughs> especially right now? It's just crypto is at what? 140 billion market cap right now? What, what, what do you think of everything that's going on and all these new players that are coming into the market? I think that, um, actually, it's kind of interesting, especially for the new people. I think it's important to play with this. If you go to, say, uh, a nice website that has good charts for Bitcoin, mm-hmm. And you plot the chart in log, which basically means instead of it going, instead of the axes going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, they go 1, 10, 100. You know, they basically go up 10 times. Mm-hmm. And you look at the Bitcoin chart from the, <clears throat> from the beginning or as, as early as the chart goes, which is typically like 2012 or so. You'll see that actually Bitcoin's growth, if you look at the troughs on a log scale, Bitcoin's growth is linear on a log scale, which basically means it's been exponential. Mm-hmm. Even the bottoms, even the bottoms have been exponential. So in in the case of 2014, the price went from a peak of 1200 to a trough of about $200. Mm-hmm. It's actually that $200 is actually right on the linear log scale support line mm-hmm. for the price. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I have two feelings about the market. If it's going way too far away from that, um, that log support line to me, we're in a period of relatively overbought, you know, kind of hype. Mm-hmm. And when we come back to the log line, which has been very consistent, um, almost from the beginning, um, we're at say the truer value in my mind. So 2017, we're a little bit away from the log line. 
So I think we're a little we're a little bit in a in a hyped overbought phase, and we have some potential room for dropping into mm -hmm. the two back into the two thousands. That's definitely plausible. But on the on the the long term trend, it's it's massively up. It's just how 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 high, how drastic are the peaks on that general uptrend? Right. So yeah, I think we're in a bit of a, a hype market right now, but we're also in a unique space in the market right now where mostly what's happening is the financial institutions are starting to move in hedge funds, mm -hmm. banks, brokers of all kinds. The financial sector has been moving in this year as, as far as I can oh, tell man. from news, social media, you know, companies, yep. all these things. So that's a little bit different because they have the funds basically to support a higher price. You know, they're they have the funds to buy the coins as they drop below their buy in mm -hmm. and average their price, their buy in price down with the market. Right. But at the same time, they have so much funds relative to the average person that they could actually support the market value. At, right. And at some extent, prices. At, at those higher prices. Right. So I think we're in a bit of a, a new phase. We're mm. not too far off of the log line. But I think we're going to be in a what appears to be an overbought phase for a longer period as the financial sector moves in. Once they move in com like more completely, the price goes up some number of times above that point. You know, then we could see potential catastrophic crashes mm. um, if they decide to exit on mass for right. some reason. Overall, basically, I'm bullish, very bullish um, in the. You know, five to ten years. You know, I'm betting on uh, major increases in value in Bitcoin, and, and and all the surviving currencies essentially that are effectively pegged to Bitcoin. Right. In the short term, I think we're in a different bit, little bit of an overbought phase, but also it has a different character because of the financial institutions coming in. I worry that once they're in and it goes significantly higher, it could be more like the internet crash of the '90s. Mm -hmm. um, which we still haven't gotten up to, um, even despite the fact that the Internet is in everyone's pocket today. Um, we still haven't gotten up to the peak from the 90s of the Internet boom, which oh, shows really? you that. Yeah. Wow. Kind of amazing. But it could happen where the financial institutions move in. Mainstream starts to come in or or what appears to be mainstream starts to come in. We go into a, a parabolic crazy hype market right we have a horrible crash it doesn't stop the growth of bitcoin ultimately people people we could get to a point where there's mass adoption happening like bitcoin is in everyone's pocket like the internet is in everyone's pocket right and still not be at those great peaks post the financial sector moving in so i think there's probably a huge crash coming <laughs> but i'm but if you look at the to, to avoid all of the speculation about that i basically just look at the log trend right of the troughs i think i can estimate based on that i don't think we're going to really break below that in the medium term right i mean ha having uh two cryptocurrency brands under your name you can't not be long-term uh bullish on the market <laughs> yeah so. basically basically I, I basically decided that i had to get in deep in uh, as many ways as possible yep and 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 i saw a lot of the i saw potential solutions you know with pat and and other people who have done a lot of work for vericoin and varium um in the community we've seen 
solutions to these problems. Uh, let's see what the market thinks of them and see what we can do to make the technology better. Kind of going back to what you were saying, just because you're, you're an expert opinion, you're, you're in the game, you're, you're, you're deep in it, as you said. With the volatility of cryptocurrency, what is going to make everybody have it in their pockets and trust it? And how do we fix that? <clears throat> it's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. I've thought about this quite a bit. I, there's this book called The Tipping Point, um, but basically it's about how technological innovations reach this tipping point. Was that Malcolm Gladwell? Point. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, and it's about how um, technological in- innovations reach this tipping point. <clears throat> All of a sudden, they just boom, and everyone's using it, like the internet, email, dishwashers in the in the 50s or whenever it was. Any technological innovation. There's going to be some sort of tipping point that results in mass, large, maybe mass scale adoption of cryptocurrency. It's going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Interestingly, once it has already happened, once we're past the point where we've gone through the tipping point, you know, and the rate of oncoming users is starting to equilibrate, meaning the industrialized world is basically using it, then there is going to be actually a significant amount of price stability at that point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and the reason is, is just basically because you have people all over the world with highly competing interests buying and selling for different reasons in different countries and cultures, um, even more so than I would say the, the fiat markets that exist today, U.S. dollars. Because in the case of, say, the euro, the, the people in Europe you know, want the euro to go up in value, but maybe everybody else doesn't, you know? Um, Whereas if the entire world sees a benefit in using a particular cryptocurrency, Bitcoin or whatever it may be at that time, um, could be Bitcoin, then it's actually beneficial to everyone in all the different cultures across the world in different time zones for the price to increase. Mm -hmm. So I actually think that once cryptocurrency is, is adopted on a mass scale, um, and we're past that tipping point and we're in an equilibrated phase, there's going to be a, a great, a great degree of stability. Um, <clears throat> the problem is there's not likely to be much stability up until that point. Mm-hmm. And basically it's because there's a disequilibrium in the people who are not in versus the people who are in and the people who want to get in versus the people who right. um, have already got in, et cetera, et cetera. So like, do you instance, do you fear that the the instability might might hinder it getting to that point of stability? I think it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think that basically people on net say, yes, you know, cryptocurrency is less stable. But you can't, yeah, and this goes back to the log line again of the Bitcoin trough chart. If you were holding Bitcoin from even 20, let's just say 2014, say you bought Bitcoin at $500 in, in 2014, mm-hmm. and now it's worth 3500 up to 4000 It's closer to 4000 today, I think. Um, you were way better off holding Bitcoin than the U.S. dollar. Well, okay? for sure. <laughs> so... With volatility comes the benefit of the increasing price. Right. And as long as the vast majority of humans are not using the technology, it means that there's a lot more people that could buy it mm-hmm. because they don't have it. To even use it, you have to buy it. So, or you have to do work and get paid in it. You have to somehow put in costs to get Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's highly volatile, but most, there's mostly gains from that volatility. Mm-hmm. And I think there will continue to be until the majority of the industrialized world is, is 
already owns it. At that point, it'll be more stable and there won't be as much gains that could be had. There also won't be as much losses. And then um, uh, reg- your second question was, uh, was would I like Varium to be um, the new Bitcoin? It's a hard question to answer. So like if I was an investor, I would say 100 percent. Yes. Hell like if yeah. I was just an if, yeah, <laughs> if I was just a, just an investor, I would say 100 percent. Yes. As the creator of the currency, when, when you ask me that question, I'm like, oh, man. You know, that's a lot of uh, testing that will be done by the market on Varium. I hope it works right. Uh, right. It's actually been actually a, I've been really pleased with the way the protocol works. We had um, and you don't know, really, you do all the testing you can. Like we ran a test net. We had miners in the test net. They were trying GPUs on it. No one could could profitably mine with GPUs. Oh, wow. Um, and, and and, you know, we were confident through the test period a varium that we had a good a solid cpu mining protocol but you really don't know until it hits the market and you get random experts coming in and saying oh maybe i could tweak this or that and make 10 times the other guy you know and uh, and we had those people come in in the last uh i would say since the beginning of 2017 in particular varium started to go up in value more people start to pay attention to it still it's largely unknown I will say, like, it's really, there's so many coins, um, it's hard for people to find all of them. Right. Um, Varium is still largely under the radar. Um, but some of the more expert miners and programmers have, have come to us, tried to find out more about how it works or, what, you know, what people are doing with mining and if they can improve on it. And uh, one of them is, is, is in the cryptocurrency community goes by the handle wolf zero and he's basically one of the top uh gpu programmers that has converted cpu coins in the past to gpu coins and he basically concluded that it's just it's just not efficient to mine with the gpu you're gonna net lose money relative to a cpu Hmm. so there's no he's, he's tried to tweak the algorithm to minimize the amount of memory that's used for each hash Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, and he hasn't been able to get it to to be efficient enough mm. to be, even be worth doing. So we're very confident in the Varium protocol, um, and we already had released one blockchain, you know, three years prior. So we knew uh, a right. lot of things uh, uh, when we released Varium. So yeah, in one sense, I would love for Varium to be the new Bitcoin, but at the same time, I, I, I'm concerned about what you talked about before, which is growing too fast. What I'd rather happen, Varium gets to this great place in the market, but it does it organically, right. um, naturally. Right. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, I'm on your show trying to explain the technology to you and, and everyone listening, but ultimately the people come to their own conclusions and decide, you know, whether this is a technology for them. What I'd really like is for us to really succeed because of that time we get more and more miners every day more and more people in the slack thousands of new varium and varicoin wallets downloaded every couple months more and more nodes uh all over the world like it's actually been cool to watch we have on our website varicoin.info there's a link to a varium stats mm-hmm. page and there's a world map and it shows all the the, the countries in the world color the either light blue or dark blue the yep. dark blue countries are not there are no nodes the dark blue countries have been really diminishing down to the desert antarctica you know greenland um 
some parts of the world where they just don't basically have internet or avail easily uh, right. easily can access internet, but pretty much the rest of the world has nodes. Um, so I'm actually really happy with the growth and I'm trying, we're basically, like I said, trying to find that sweet spot where we're communicating the technology, we're, we're releasing white papers, we're explaining how it works, but we're not, we're, we're trying to build a true currency and a true digital reserve based on um, the technology and its usefulness. Right. All right. So last question. I know you got to go. I got to get to bed. It's 2 a.m. here. Uh, oh man oh man i got sorry I, about that no 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 it's it, it's how it works out i'm in taiwan you're in the states it happens but my, my last question and this is just a total general question it has nothing to do with varium viracoin but your your opinion of who are the who are the main people in the market right now who who's the who who in in cryptocurrency for me is douglas pike and virium i mean this is this is this is uh, this is my dude right here so if I was wearing, a, if I was wearing, a, you got you got to get a shirt like you know I don't I don't know so, something so I can start wearing like hold uh, Douglas Pike or something, but <laughs> <laughs> but who who would you say if you're gonna wear a hold hold whoever shirt or whatever what coin or what what person would that be? Um, okay, so to me, the person who I, I have to say that the person I most respect in the space um, for their mostly comprehensive knowledge of the entire complex technology that is cryptocurrency, which includes economics, computer science, understanding of sociology, government, law. I mean, it's unbelievable the, the kind of knowledge that you have to have to have devised you know, this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the person to me who has most advanced combination of all of that knowledge would be Nick Zabo. Um, who is Nick Zabo? Nick Zabo is one of pioneers of cryptocurrency. He's basically one of these people early on who are called cypherpunks. Basically, they know cryptography. They know computer science. When the internet started in the 90s, they basically thought of the concept of electronic money, you know, like internet money, e-money, it was called in the Mm -hmm. 90s. And he was one of these people, um, one of the few people at that time, was at the cutting edge. He worked for this company in the 90s called Digicash, if I remember correctly. They were creating e-money in the 90s, or, or essentially the precursor to Bitcoin. So was this money um, based off a of blockchain, or what, what, what was a e-money? It was not. That was It was centralized. There was a number of distinctions, but one of the major ones was that it was centralized. Mm-hmm. What happened with the company that Nick was working for, basically what happened was the government said, you're making counterfeit money, we're going to shut you down. Oh. And they sh- they shut down the servers and boom, there's no e-money. Um, so those people at that time Whoa. learned the lesson. Yeah, they learned the lesson that we have to create an Internet currency that is not vulnerable to being shut down by a single authority, basically. Whoa. So um, wait, so we have I have to unpack that a little bit. So how the hell did the government so e-money wasn't a printed currency. It was somebody something that somebody would have bought with uh, a fiat, probably the dollar, and then mm-hmm. spent it online. Yet right, they right. got shut down for Yeah, there was there was a there was a bank or two that were doing pilot like studies with it and 
basically it was a for-profit company that was making its own money, electronic money, mm-hmm. and um, and wanted to do what email did for mail. They were a company that could be shut down. So one of the major deep insights that, in my view, you know, Nick Zabo is, is probably the thought leader on this. How do you create a technology that is impervious to being shut down by a single entity? P2P network technology, it's cryptography for the security of, of the system. It's rationing the coins via mining. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like it's like rationing proportional to computational power, which is essentially mining. It's all these things that make the system so fair and free. In America, you could say the average person, uh, and probably in Taiwan as well, the average person says the government's not bad. Um, therefore, you know, I don't mind them getting involved in my transactions, which mm-hmm. is basically how the current fiat system works. Right. If the government calls up Chase Bank and says, this, is, this guy's a bad dude, don't process this transaction, they don't. But there's also a lot of countries in the world where many people think that the government is not good. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you know, they might be preventing freedom. Right. From existing in the form of money, which has a lot to do with how the society functions, is one of the most essential things. The beauty of it actually is, even in the case of America or countries where the majority of people think that the government is reasonably fair, this actually sets up a competition between the government currency and a non-government currency. Hmm. And what does competition look like to a government currency? Right, right. Yeah. What happens when Bitcoin is disinflating or its inflation is decreasing and the government keeps on inflating our currency? Right. In the 1940s, you could buy a gallon of milk for like 10 cents. And now a gallon of milk is $3. Right. What's happened in that time? Has milk become scarce? Is there fewer cows? Is there a lack of technology for the efficiency of milk production? No, no, none of that. It's very simply the dollar is worth less relative to goods. Right. Um, So you have to spend more. So competition to me is a beautiful thing. Um, It's the best thing. Uh, It's what I believe has made technology grow the way it has and make it made it cheaper at the same time. And so competition to me in the currency space within one nation will only do good for the average person. Now, you didn't ask you didn't answer the second part of this question, which was the cryptocurrency that is interesting to you. Now, I know this you might not have can't answer this because it's not very Mavericoin I'm asking, but I am asking. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, OK. OK. So the most so the most interesting cryptocurrency category um, asset, you know, more broadly to me right now is Tezos. Tezos. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's, I don't consider it in the same class as, as Bitcoin, as, as Vericoin, as Varium. It's more in the class of the generalized blockchain protocol like Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it hasn't been released yet. They had a big ICO. Normally, I don't participate in ICOs aside from the Varium presale I participated in. But other than that, I actually have not participated in any ICO, mostly because I think you could probably just get it cheaper on the market afterwards. That's true. Um, that is 100% but, true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But in this case, I did participate in the Tezos ICO because I think they have made a, a really interesting innovation to the general purpose blockchain technology, um, which is, you know, like the Ethereum type systems, the smart contract systems, the, mm-hmm. the systems that are designed to do more than just money. And, you know, in our case, more than just a commodity and a currency. I think Tezos is very interesting because they have figured out a way have the protocol be developed in a shareholder sort of democratization system where basically the people who own Tezos have a vote with their Tezos in what improvements they want mm-hmm. built onto the protocol. And, um, and then so they vote with their money, basically. And then that money that's voted um, with for a particular feature or upgrade or whatever is then paid to the developer, some fraction of it or all of it, I'm not sure which, um, is paid to the developer of that feature or the developer group. that. So, so what I think they've done with that system is build a general purpose system that has a structure in place where they will attract some of the top crypto developers doing some of the top, most top-of-the-line advancements in the, in the especially the general-purpose application-based technology because they will have guaranteed payment if they're chosen by the users with their money. So people are voting with their money and the developers are being paid with the voted money. That is a competitive advantage that no other currency has right now. No one knows how to make blockchain applications. Everyone's talking about it, but no one has any clue how they're actually going to work. And the ones that are being developed, like on Ethereum right now, none of them are really actually working. You know, there's like a small niche of people that are trying to figure out essentially for each application how this thing would actually function. Mm -hmm. It's a complicated problem. It's an extremely complicated problem. Even for the sole purpose of accounting money, it's complicated. For general purpose applications, it's extremely complicated. Mm. Um, so what what the general purpose blockchain, which is essentially the decentralization of everything, you know, quote unquote, that needs the best people working the most aggressively for, I would say, the next five to 10 years before we even really start to get there where, you know, Facebook is decentralized, where, um, you know, Twitter is decentralized. So there's a decentralized version of these things that beat the centralized version on the market. Right. You know, th- these these things are going to happen, but they're going to take time and they're going to require teams of experts working tirelessly for years, uh, to be honest. And um, I think Tezos has the best shot of achieving that. Right on. Well, you just made my um, either not next or the, the one after episode. What is Tezos? That's what, it, what I'm going to do. <laughs> A 101 on Tezos. Well, Doug, I'm going to let you get back to work. I'm going to get to bed. Thank you very much for taking the hour and 21 minutes conversation with me. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to the first Crypto 101 interview with Douglas Pike of Virium and Viracoin. There are a lot of things talked about in this podcast. Mining, what gives cryptocurrency value, proof of work, proof of stake. If you have any questions about any of these concepts or just want to listen to another episode of Crypto 101, 
these podcasts of what is mining, what is proof of work and proof of stake are in the history. So take a look on iTunes or SoundCloud and check them out. Just a quick reminder, we are on Facebook, SoundCloud, uh, Tumblr, Crypto 101. We are on Instagram, Crypto underscore 101. And we are on Twitter at Crypto underscore underscore 101. You can send me an email at crypto.101 at outlook.com. If you have any questions for me or any comments for me or Doug, you can send me an email and I will be happy to forward the message to him and or his team. And finally, I want to let everybody know that we found a blog writer. Ross has joined the team and Ross will be doing the blogs for our Tumblr, WordPress, and our Steemit. They will be overviews of our episodes, basically whatever he wants to put up there to help get people involved in cryptocurrency. So you can check those out as well. Those links will be in the description. Also, links that are going to be in the description are today's songs. The first one was Grizzly Bear, Losing All Sense. And the second one was Radiohead, Subterranean, Homesick Alien. Actually, one of my favorites as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Matthew Aaron with Crypto 101. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, 
Our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.